Turn with me, if you will, in God's Word uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 16 verses. If you're using uh, one of the church's Bibles, you'll find that on page 986, 986. Uh, we started the book of First Thessalonians a few weeks ago, and uh, picking up today, I was down in Portland uh, filling the pulpit for Pastor Faro last week, um, but good to be back here and back in God's Word together. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Uh, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God abides forever. Let us give our attention to the reading of it. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath has come upon them at last. And so ends the reading of our God's word. Let us ask that he would be pleased to speak to us uh, through it this morning. Our gracious God, you know our hearts. You know our minds. You know how we struggle to believe your words of comfort. And how we are indeed quicker to believe lies from the enemy than we are to believe truth from you. If we're honest, we sometimes think that your grace sounds too foreign to our selfishness and beyond the realm of plausible, that your grace is simply too good to be true. And so help us to not judge as if we were the standard, 
Help us to judge our doubts according to your word. We ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to just how high and inexhaustible your grace truly is. Do this as we open your word, we pray. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. Uh, My grandparents were married uh, for just over 60 years. My grandpa ran his own business. He was an auto mechanic. His his shop was up front. They lived behind it. My grandma did the books for the business. uh, And then they retired in their 60s and spent the the next 25 years or so farming a small piece of land together. In other words, for nearly six decades, or actually over six decades, uh, they were at each other's side day and night. And when my grandpa died, I remember my grandma in tears getting angry and saying, I can't believe he left. I can't believe he abandoned me. And it's kind of shocking for a grandson to hear his grandma say, especially one as sweet as my grandma. Uh, But the reality is there's no logic to that statement. There's no rationality in that statement. Uh, my, my grandpa didn't choose to die. He didn't check out. He didn't voluntarily abandon her. There was nothing he could have done to stay with her any longer. But the thing about emotions is they don't care about logic. <laughs> uh, emotions feel what emotions feel, and they say what they feel. And my grandma felt alone. She felt abandoned. And all she could do, all she could think to do, was get mad at the very love of her life who had been at her side day and night for six decades. Families can be like that, can't they? <laughs> um, it seems like we save our harshest comments for those who have shown us the greatest love, uh, the greatest devotion, and the greatest sacrifice. And I think, that, I think that seems odd, right? Why do we save our harshest statements, our harshest words, for those who have been the kindest to us? And I think maybe it's because we know that they're the safest, that they can handle all the rawness of our emotions and not give up on us. You see, families are, are complicated, Uh, Both earthly families and uh, church families, they can be complicated. Uh, Paul had served as a spiritual parent to the, the Christians in Thessalonica. He had loved them, he had cared for them, he had been there for their spiritual birth. And yet he had been taken away from them and he had been unable at this point to return. And so now they feel alone. Now they feel like they've been abandoned. And so they get mad at the one who has shown them the greatest love, the greatest sacrifice, and they accuse him of things that he has not done. Because all families are complicated. 
And they only get more complicated when you throw family traits into the mix. You, you know what family traits are, right? right? Characteristics that identify the family. Mannerisms, physical traits. We say things like, uh, you take after your dad, or you have your mom's eyes. Uh, and we're surprised, aren't we? Like, when one child is different, all the kids, you know, have brown eyes, and then one kid shows up blue with, with blue eyes, and everybody says, where did he get those blue eyes? And then somebody says, he got them from grandpa. And everybody says, that's right. Even though his parents didn't have blue eyes, his, his grandpa did. And it, it was a trait that showed back up. But not all family traits are, are appreciated. Uh, children can blame their parents when they receive unwanted traits, right? Like, it's your fault I have a big nose, or uh, it's your fault I'm short and I will never uh, play for the NBA. But for better or worse, whatever those traits are, they do remind us of one thing, and that's this. We have a family. We belong somewhere, and that family has our back. And so it is with God's family. A couple of weeks ago, we started First Thessalonians, as I said, and the plan, my hope, is to finish or come close to finishing the book of First Thessalonians before I leave for sabbatical in September and then return to Second Thessalonians when I get back because the two books go together. Uh, and we looked a couple weeks ago at chapter 1 and how it introduced the book. Uh, the, we find it as we, as we open the book that the Christians in Thessalonica are discouraged because life is hard. They've been uh, suffering for their faith, they've been persecuted, and now they are tempted to give up. They're, they're looking for strength, and they're looking for encouragement, they're looking for uh, something to help them keep going in the midst of all this hardship. And so Paul is, is taking them back to the basics, back to the basics of the Christian life that they knew at the beginning. Uh, faith, hope, and love. And, and he says we, we need to remember who we believe in, what our faith is. Uh, we, we need to remember where we are headed, what our hope is. And in between, we need to remember that God calls us to love each other. And so he, he's doing these, and we introduced those briefly a few weeks ago. But from here, we're going to spend two weeks, two sermons on each one of them, starting with faith. And so uh, this week and next week, we're going to look at faith. Because Paul's first goal is to remind them that their faith is genuine, uh, which means if their faith is genuine, they are not children of the world. They are children of God. They are part of his family, and that matters. That means that they're going to have family traits, things that identify them as belonging to God's family. And they're going to start to resemble him more and more. And so, as with human families, uh, those family traits can be both a frustration but also a comfort. And Paul's going to look at both and talk about some of the hardships of being part of his family, but also the beauty of that and where that leads. But he wants to remind them also in the midst of this, of his love for them. That, that they're tempted to believe he doesn't love them because he hasn't been able to come back yet, but he does. And that he has been a spiritual parent to them. And, and his goal is to convince them that, that his ministry to them came at great sacrifice, but it was not in vain, that they are truly a part of God's family. And to do that, he's going to have to help them understand what that means, what it means to be a part of his family. And so what he's going to essentially tell them in this first section that we're looking at today is this. 
being mistreated (laughs) is a necessary trait of all who belong to God's family. But it's proof that we are his. And that's a great comfort. So that's where he's headed uh, as we look at this first uh, section of chapter 2 this morning. As I said, the Thessalonians, they're hurting, they're scared, uh, and they're lashing out against Paul, against Timothy, and against, uh, sometimes he's called Silas, sometimes he's called Silvanus. It's the same person. Uh, These three are the ones who in Acts 17 came to Thessalonica, and they're the ones who are writing this letter. And the Thessalonians are accusing Paul of mistreating them by abandoning them, kind of like my grandma did with my grandpa. And Paul's not so much worried about his own reputation. He's not doing damage control here. Um, What he's worried about is how devastating the consequences would be of them thinking that this was all a sham. Because that could lead them to think that they weren't really converted, that they don't really believe. They might doubt their own conversions and the genuineness of their faith, and Paul can't have that, because then they will suffer. And so he has to rehearse for them uh, his ministry to them, and he decides to do so in terms of what it looks like to be a parent, because that's what he is to them, a spiritual parent. And any parent uh, will recognize themselves in how Paul is describing his ministry to the Thessalonians as that, as the life of a parent. And, And within this, there are a number of not this, but this kind of statements throughout this passage. For example, in verse 3, he says, He did not come in impurity. Then he goes on in verse 10 to say that he came in holiness and blamelessness. Uh, he's, he's not saying that he's never done anything wrong, but he's talking about the posture of his ministry. There was, there was a purity to his ministry to them, a beauty to it. Uh, he didn't come to deceive, verse 3. He didn't come to flatter, verse 5. Uh, and and these, these deceiving and flattery, these are uh, characteristics of a salesman. Uh, of a charlatan. And we see these throughout the history of the church showing up and working their way into God's church. They use ministry as a way to gain power and influence and wealth. They tell people what the people want to hear, but their real goal is to get into the people's lives and into their wallets. False teachers will tell you whatever you want to hear, so you drop your guard and let them in. Instead, Paul says he came with exhortations and instructions, and he called them to faithfulness. He called them to obedience to God, even when it was costly. And so Paul reminds them that he did not come seeking to please men, Verse 4, or, or to receive glory from men, his desire at every point was to please God. And that's what drove all that he did. Because, because he knows that whatever pleases God is what is best for the Thessalonians. This is hard to remember. But any parent knows that what is easiest is usually what is absolutely worst for the child. Do I argue or do I just let them eat cake for dinner? (laughs) 
or, or that temptation to say, discipline is hard. Why, why go through all that effort? Or the temptation to ask, why be the bad guy? Maybe I should just let her go out with those friends. But a good parent will do what is hard, what is unpopular, even when it's sure to raise the anger of the child if it's the right thing to do. I'd rather you get angry at me than you go into a dangerous and foolish place. And so like a parent, Paul didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He didn't make promises that he couldn't keep. At every point, he did what was best for them, even when it was what was hardest. And the greatest example of this was was how he lived toward them. He lived sacrificially toward them. He gets into this in verse 5 and verses 8 through 10. He says he was free of greed. And they know this. They, They know how he lived in their midst. He says that that not only did he and Timothy and Silas share the gospel with them, but they they shared their own lives. They poured themselves out. They, they, They lived sacrificially. And he explains that in verse 9. He says, We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And when he says we worked night and day, he's not talking about uh, working night and day in preaching the gospel, though they certainly did that. He's talking about uh, they, they worked their trades. Paul, Paul was a trained uh, tent maker. Uh, And so he ran a business uh, he could set up in any town he went to and and earn his own keep so as to not burden the people of the church to pay for his food and his lodging. That's what he's talking about. And he says in verse 8 that the reason that they did all of this was because the people there were dear to Paul and the others And they loved them so dearly, they just wanted to do whatever they could to serve them. And what does that sound like? Working night and day for nothing in return, driven by love to pour your life out, to go without sleep just to make sure the other is cared for? What does that sound like? Every mom is staring at me going, it sounds like me. That's what a parent does. They sacrifice, they serve, they pour their lives out. Not for some reward or honor or recognition. They do it because they love their children. From before they're born. And so Paul surrounds this whole confession of pouring his life out for them with statements that he's been like a nursing mother, verse 7, or a gentle father, verse 11. His entire ministry to them has been parental, constantly sacrificing for their good. Nothing about what he has done for them, with them, to them, or anything else suggests anything else but the deepest love and devotion and commitment for them. And of course, the Thessalonians know that. He's not trying to tell them something they don't know. He's, he's reminding them of what they do know. 
He says, if I need witnesses to my parental love for you, you're it. And if you could just see through your emotions, you'd see that I've done everything humanly possible to serve you. And I wouldn't abandon you. There's nothing indifferent about my feelings for you. I would do anything and everything I could for you because I love you. And so Paul ends his rehearsal of his time with them. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. He's saying, you know that we didn't come to you with our own words, our own agenda, pursuing our own means. You received us as what we were, ambassadors of God. He's pushing them to admit what they know, because in acknowledging that, they'll be forced to see God's work in them and to know their their faith is genuine. And that they are really and truly children of God. Because if you... you, Look at what God's word did in your heart and you'll know your faith is genuine and you'll know that you're his children. But he's not done. He has another trick up his sleeve. Because it's not just how the gospel was received. Um, uh, It's what the gospel has done in their lives that helps prove this. And that's what verses 14 through 16 are all about. They're about family traits. Paul goes on to connect the hard times that the Thessalonians are enduring and help them to see that these are family traits connecting them to the family of God and proving to them that they are his. So he says that the Thessalonians have become imitators, verse 14, of the churches that are in Judea. But he takes them deeper. He says, the churches in Judea have suffered much from their countrymen. But it wasn't just the Jews there that suffered. Before them, it was Jesus who suffered. And before him, it was the prophets. Since them, Paul admits that he was driven out by their hands. It pretty much covers everyone. The Lord, the prophets, the apostles, ordinary Christians, all mistreated because of their faith. Kind of sounds like a family trait, doesn't it? <laughs> it's characteristic of the family. And that's what exactly that's what Paul says in Romans. He says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with us, with our spirits, that we are children of God. And he says this, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. It's not just a family trait, it's a necessary family trait. This is how we know we're his children. And, and as much as we want to, we, we can't rush over that last bit. We, we, we can only claim to be God's children if we suffer with Jesus. It's a necessary family trait. All Christians have it. And this is what it means to be a child of God. And, and it means that because this is what happened to the Son of God. And that shouldn't be a a shock or a surprise. Um, So the pains that they're enduring 
are just a necessary consequence of being a part of God's family. It's as if Paul is saying, yes, I I understand that you're enduring much pain and hardship. And I've endured it as well for your sake. The prophets of old endured it. Your brothers and sisters in Judea are bearing it. And your Savior bore it for you. Welcome to the family. And, and, And that might sound harsh or unkind, but really it's not. He's not making light of their hardship. He's acknowledging it, but he's also making peace with it. He's saying, if my Savior suffered for me, why should I expect to not suffer for him? But remember, he's doing this as a parent, and every parent wants desperately to protect their children from all pain, all hardship. It's it's in a parent's balance. It's in a parent's DNA. But if our Heavenly Father was willing to let His own Son endure hardship for a better reward, then Paul must be willing to let his spiritual children do the same. And we must as well. You see, our our goal as parents is not to protect our children from all affliction, but to help them understand it. My job as a pastor is not to protect you from all hardship, no matter how much I want to, but to help you learn to see it as sharing in the suffering of Jesus. But I think there's more. Because in in their suffering, Paul sees the very imprint of Jesus on them. He sees their affliction for the gospel as, as proof positive that their faith is genuine and that they truly are children of God and, if children, heirs of heaven. This is why he was able to start in verse 1 with those words, You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. <laughs> you know that. But he has to connect the dots for them. Their affliction was not proof that they didn't belong to God, but proof that they did. It's those who mistreat God's people that are his enemies, not the ones who are mistreated. Now, history moves in cycles. Some Christians endure uh, more overt persecution than others. And uh, we appear to maybe be heading into a time of greater hardship and persecution. You might be called all sorts of names. You might be accused of all sorts of evils. You may even lose your job. You might lose your friends. And you might start asking, what did I do wrong? Shouldn't my life be easier? Maybe I'm not even a Christian. But whether you face overt persecution or not, you will endure increased affliction if you follow Jesus. God brings hardship on on all his children in this life, not just because it's a family trait, but because it shapes us and it makes us more like Jesus. It purifies us, it transforms us, it sanctifies us. God disciplines those who are his children because he loves them uniquely. And so whether the pain that you're going through is persecution, heartache, Illness, loss, it's not proof that you don't belong. It's a family trait. And therefore, if you 
learn to see rightly, it's actually a comfort. What greater comfort could there possibly be than to know you belong to the family of God? That you are his child and an heir of his kingdom. Some people have their dad's nose or their mom's eyes. We have our Savior's affliction. And we have his inheritance, his glory. And so we know beyond a doubt that that we are his and, and he is ours. And that heaven awaits us. Because it awaits all who are children of God. And that is a great comfort. And Paul wants to help the Thessalonians understand that. And please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for welcoming us into your family, for giving us your name, and for sharing your family traits with us, both the sufferings of Christ and his glory. We ask that you would teach us the comfort of knowing that we are yours. Teach us not to lose heart. Strengthen us and give us your peace, we pray. And help us to serve as you have served us. All of this we ask through Christ our Lord and our older brother. Amen.